0: Welcome to Still City Lockdown, the podcast series from the start, discussing the latest from Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday during, during these unprecedented and difficult times and hopefully providing you with a bit of a distraction as well. I'm Liam Horden, usually the Doncaster Rovers writer for the start, and joining me today is our Sheffield United reporter, James Shield, a football editor, and I think it's fair to say the face of the Here With You campaign that we've been running, Chris Holt, and making his uh, Still City Lockdown debut, our new Sheffield Wednesday writer, Joe Cran. Welcome everybody, and welcome in particular, Joe.
1: Thanks very much. Nice to be here. Sort of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you enjoying uh, the the uh, the job so far? Maybe what you've been able to do these obviously difficult times.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, look, it's it's all a little bit of a still a bit surreal for me to be honest. Because um, I'm I've started a new job, but I'm still in in Janusburg, So you know, I, I, I I've kind of started a new job, but I'm also going through exactly the same routine. But for for a Wednesday night, you know, I grew up supporting the club and stuff. So. Um, I've got to talk to, to Mark Pembridge and Jose Cimido and you know Mark Bright and people like that so it's all I'm just I, I'm kind of in the um, I suppose like in this, this out of body phase at the minute where I'm just getting to write about people that I you know grew up watching which is which is really i loving it. Yeah so,
0: bad, so bad. just waiting now for that football to actually kick in.
1: Yeah yeah look it's actually in, in some ways, I might end up seeing more games this way, because I was meant to be flying in at the end of April and catching the last game of the season. So I was only going to get to watch one game, whereas now, depending on what happens, I might get a few more than that. So, you know, every cloud's got a silver lining. Yes, yes. We are hoping that when we got to speak
0: on this kind of format that we'd be talking about something a bit more concrete um, in terms of restarting, whether that be the Premier League or the Championship, hopefully both, I think. For those of us with League One interest, like myself, I think we're giving up to the, the very, very likely possible uh, outcome that the season's going to be ended here right now. But it, it still presses on with the uh, with the Premier League and Championship hoping to resume. James, how do things lie at the minute in the Premier League? And when do you think we may get a bit more clarity on, on whether this project restart will actually be kicked into gear?
2: Well, I think the short answer when we're going to get some more clarity is, uh, is going to be that when, when certain clubs uh, realise that there's going to have to be a compromise uh, if uh, if English football is going to restart again. I mean, clearly they're working towards that June the uh, June the 12th restart date, although, you know, there's some talk that that may well now be, be a week later, be, be June the 19th. But what's clearly coming out of all the meetings uh, that the Premier League clubs and all of the other bodies that are going to be involved in this, in this decision, such as the PFA and the League Managers Association, is that, Everybody has clearly got their own point of view. Everybody's got their own idea on what's going to happen. And that goes all the way down to the players as well. But ultimately, we're going to have to reach a point where I think that certain individuals involved in the negotiation process realise and understand that because we are in such a, a difficult and a delicate situation, there is going to be no perfect scenario at the end of this. And something's got to give. So... When I think, you know, a few heads are banged together, and I think that's what's going to have to happen, uh, and possibly a few threats made in, in terms of when the season has to be has to be finished by or has to restart by, I should say. I think that's when we're that's when we're going to know. I will say I understand the arguments that have been put forward by an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of clubs and managers, but ultimately, you know, people are just going to have to accept that they're not going to get everything that they want out of this situation.
0: I suppose, Chris, looking at it, if the season were ended and decided in a different manner other than it being decided on the pitch, a lot of these clubs that are are sort of raising objections to the potential methods of of restarting and playing at neutral venues and things like that, they might have their fate taken out of their own hands and be relegated anyway because there seems to be a very, very strong desire to to have promotion and relegation regardless of what happens over these, uh, these next few weeks.
3: Yeah, like you're right. I think you kind of have to be careful with the wish for, in some sense, because if it's if it's taken out of their hands, then mostly the bottom three, they're gone, and that's, and that's the end of it. But listen, I, I, as James said, I can completely understand where where all these clubs are coming. From. If you were a fan of of any of them, you'd want exactly that from from you know those people who run their club. That they would do everything in their power to. To make sure that you get the best possible, like the best possible scenario that, that suits you, and and you know, that's just the way it is, really. You know, you just have to. There's going to be a lot of to and fro. and it, do you know what? At some point, it wouldn't surprise me if we ended up with a kind of not a similar scenario, but a little bit like what happened to um, to Sheffield United. With the, the whole Carlos Tevez thing, where suddenly, if people are being are putting up too many um, hurdles in the way, then they're they're offered a few crates to kindly take yourselves off. Yeah. If you see what I mean, I'm not saying that's an option or anything like that. I just said we we seem to be going down the road where there's so many stumbling blocks and people with vested interests that that something's going to have to give.
0: Yeah, certainly is. Certainly is. Joe, from a championship perspective, how things looking? And know there's still that strong desire to kind of match the Premier League? Going to be back up and running on that June twelfth date. But how do you see it at the minute?
1: Look, I think there's there's probably still a massive um, a massive issue going on with you know the players as well in terms of they've they've obviously been telling told all these rules that they've got to follow. Now you know you've seen this stuff about you know not getting booked for spitting and all that kind of thing. Um, and if if they're given this big set of rules to follow, I'm sure a lot of the players will look at that that big list and go, "Well, if we're having to follow all this stuff, is it really that safe for us to play?" Um, so I think that's 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 one thing. Um, they, they've obviously said they can. They're looking at trying to get back to training on the 25th of this month. Um, whether that is, is another date that's going to be passed on because that's what seems to be happening. They seem to be setting dates. Not to be Not to be rude, but it kind of seems like they're setting dates for the sake of setting dates at this point you know there's been a date set, and then it gets shifted, another date and then that gets shifted um but obviously it's it, it, they, they want to try and finish the league you know it seems like the bulk of the league wants to try and get it finished, just like in the in the Premier League, but whether that is something that is, is feasible in the coming weeks I, I honestly i don't know it's as 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 James and chris have both said it, it's it's a very difficult situation, and i don't envy anybody involved. Um, it's, and I think it's it's made more complicated for, for a team like like Wednesday because you know they really don't know where they're at. They're, they're kind of mid-table, but because of this EFL case that's hanging over as well, they're mid-table, but they could also not be mid-table. You know, if if something if if a point deduction comes in and they get docked twelve points, and all of a sudden, their uh, what what they prefer might change. So they're, they're in a very a very tricky situation at the minute. But you know, I just I just hope that we can get some kind of a uh, some kind of, of a collective agreement because we, we need someone to put the foot down really you know until that point like like jim said it, it's going to be but i want that and but we want this and this suits that team and ultimately we need someone to go look this isn't going to suit everybody we know that it's going to you know it's going to annoy some people but this is the best way forward and sorry but you're going to have to deal with i think
2: it's it's worth mentioning this is something that sort of crosses you know the uh, the premier league and the championship divide so it's relevant to uh, to both Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday, I think. And as Joe said, what 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 you're seeing here, I think, is the problem of a, of a game in this country that doesn't really have one governing body. You know, yeah. effectively, let's be right, in terms of influence, you've got three. So they're having to, to speak to each other as well. It's not, a, it's not a great situation to be in, I don't think, but we're going to have to get on with that now. And I think as well, ultimately, what is going to happen is somebody's going to have to grab the entire game by the scruff of the neck and just outline to people and say, listen, you know, it might not be one hundred percent safe to play. But let's be right, at the moment it's not one hundred percent safe to walk down to the shops and buy a buy a loaf of bread. So people are just gonna to have to get over that, I think. And ultimately, if we're in a situation where some players don't want to play, do you know what? That's fair enough. You can't criticise anybody for, for wanting to put their own health and their family first. But I think we are gonna to have to reach a point very, very soon where the clubs of those players say, you know what, the overwhelming majority, probably of, of your teammates, actually do want to go ahead with this season. So I think we're just going to have to uh, to go ahead without you. Otherwise, we'll be sat here in three months' time having exactly the same conversation.
1: While people are still sat in, in the in the street doing congers.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, uh,
0: it just... It looks. Incre- the longer it goes on, the more likely is that it gets ended and, and voided, and that's what it seems to be to me. I, I think that, and, and as we mentioned earlier, the kind of it then takes out of the hands of the, the various clubs because a lot in that scenario they would get the majority voting for points per game or whatever because the vast majority of the clubs are unaffected by it. You would have a few up at the top end, and but well, I think you'd probably get that majority you would be happy to go with the table as it is or with the minor adjustments that would come in the points per game scenario. But one of the big issues has been the contractual situation, and uh, James, that's been. Kind of sorted in, in in the Premier League with most to extend player contracts that are due to expire at the, uh, the end of the season, just just on a short term basis. That's that's kind of coming today. But that doesn't
2: particularly affect Sheffield United in terms of the the,
0: sort of the main bulk of the uh, the playing squad that's been involved so much. Yeah, no,
2: it doesn't. And I think, in fairness, the fact that it doesn't is is testimony actually to a lot of the good work that's been going on off the pitch at Sheffield United in in recent years because. It wouldn't have been so, so long ago that we'd have all been breathing a huge collective sigh of relief at Bramall Lane, thinking, that's great, three quarters of the first team, or half the first team, are actually going to be available for the end of the season. But, you know, there are some contractual issues that they've got in terms of resurrecting talks about extended deals, and they'll they'll do that at, at some point later this year. I think Chris Wilder quite rightly made the, made the point a couple of weeks ago that it, it probably wasn't, the done thing to be to be seen to be uh, awarding enhanced sort of pay packages to to players while well. half the nation it seems is is sort of being furloughed or is, is you know are worried about their own livelihoods and jobs, but yeah, m- most of the players that uh, that are going to be or that, that, that were scheduled to be to be out of contract on May the thirtieth at, at Bramall Lane, I think it's fair to say they're not regular first team starters, uh, and it's important as well just to to note that i know chris wilder again said that clearly he canvassed opinion amongst those and he was pretty confident that all of them would uh, would have sort of quite happy to to stick around anyway
0: yeah bit of a different situation at sheffield wednesday and i'm assuming that if the championship's going to be serious about kind of restarting that they'll go down this similar similar route if, if they can get that through in terms of extending those deals on a short-term basis but some quite significant players at Wednesday potentially running out uh, the contracts running out before
1: the the final is played. Yeah, the the, the interesting thing with, with that is is obviously it's got to be it's got to be an agreement. You know, everyone's got to agree to that short term extension, and you might have some of the guys who say I, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, and and you, people are talking about integrity and they're talking about keeping a, a level playing field and stuff. But in Sheffield Wednesday's case, how fair would it be for Sheffield Wednesday if? You know they end up playing three or four under twenty-three guys because you know guys have moved on, and that, and that you, you finish the season with with effectively half half a team that that aren't your first team players. So there's 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 a lot to, to sort of take in. There's there's obviously loan deals which I think are less less complicated because you look at someone like like Windass or someone like Murphy, and I'm pretty sure that that would be something in agreement with everybody. Where you know Murphy Newcastle'd say yeah, keep him for a little bit longer and. I don't think he'd be in any rush to to get out of there, but um, with some of the other guys, you don't know maybe maybe the the guys who are actually went out of contract they are like well so and so has offered me a a, a long term deal um I'm gonna rather take that i'd I'd rather get started there than than you know spend another month and a half here or whatever it is so there's 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 all that to kind of take in, but um you know as Jim said. We're in a very, very different situation to what United are doing um, because we have some big players. You know, someone like Stephen Fletcher who's been huge for us. Um, someone like Stephen Fletcher, Morgan Fox who's had a bit of a breakout season this year. Um, you lose people like that, and and a it becomes, you know, the, the squad becomes very, uh, very thin. Yeah, yeah.
0: You've had a chance to uh, speak to Tom Lee's earlier this week. What, 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 sort of mood was was Tom in, and and how did you kind of gauge that?
1: I, I think Tom was in the kind of mood that Tom is often in. You know, he's very, he's very level-headed. He's very, um, he's just a very down-to-earth kind of person. Um, and he was saying to me that he's um, they obviously they're, they're itching to get started. You know, the hunger's still there for them to play, but they only want to do it if it's safe to do so. And one of the things that I found really interesting about about what what Tom was saying was that he says he feels there has been a shift in the the level of understanding of, of teammates' lives and other people's lives. Um, you know, he, he, he was like, look, we, we know that there's a high chance we'll be fine. But we are now sort of in a position to to understand what other guys are going through. You know, maybe they've got a newborn baby or, you know, they've got an elderly parent or, you know, their wife is is vulnerable because they've got some kind of, um, you know, some kind of problem that, that is that could be made worse by the virus. he said that he thinks that people are a lot more aware of that now which is great you know the the fact that that is is something they're taking on board but it does mean that um some guys are going to be a lot more comfortable with going back than others and that's that's going back to what what Jim was saying earlier is um you are going to have some guys who are just like you know I live with my 85 year old mom I don't want to take that risk um so there's going to be that to sort out but you know, Tom. Tom was very, very sort of. Uh, he was very upfront about the situation with me. He said look, we want to get playing, but we want to do it when it's safe. Um, and and that's where that's basically where where he stands, I think. And um, whether they get back to training on the on the twenty fifth or not, I think is is a is a big part of that because we also don't know how long these guys are going to need to, you know, get into playing shape again. Because that's that's the other thing. It's all well and good bringing the league back, but. If everyone's out of shape, how how good is it going to be to watch? Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: And James, you spoke with a couple of the United lads uh, earlier in the week. What what was the mood like there, and, and, and how things had kind of progressed uh, over the last few years? Yeah, weeks? we
2: spoke to uh, yeah, we spoke to John Egan and uh, Ender Stevens. So were they two of the Irish lads in the squad? Uh, and they were both sort of pretty upbeat. Uh, you know, both of them said that they wanted to to get back to you know to play football. I think both of them. Said that they accepted why some people within the game were were a little bit reluctant to do that right now, but I think it's clear to say that the the general consensus among the first team squad at Bramall Lane is that they they want to get out there and you know speaking about vested interests, I think it's no surprise uh, no surprise whatsoever to hear that you know I mean let let's be honest you know Sheffield United is a club up that only a season after being promoted now finds itself in with a with a very, very serious shout of of reaching the the Champions League, which, you know, as ridiculous as it sounds, is a is a realistic target now. I think one of the one of the shames about the break actually is that that now looks as if it may well be a whole lot tougher because some of the some of the teams around him in the table who looked like they were going to finish without some of their star names. And I'm thinking of Tottenham Hotspur in particular, the chances are they're now going to going to have them back available and sort of ready for selection. So, you know, it will be a tougher task, but let's be honest, you know, Sheffield United have, uh, have sort of almost rewritten the top flight rule book this season, uh, you know, and nobody, nobody expected them to be in this position to begin with. So, no, both both John and Ender were, were really upbeat and touching on that sort of idea about being aware of your, of your teammates and understanding them, I think, Sheffield United, and this, this isn't a sort of a compare and contrast exercise with, with Sheffield Wednesday, but I think that's one area where Sheffield United have been really, really lucky, actually, over the, over the last couple of years, is that they are a, a, a really sort of a tight-knit group. And I know everybody rolls their eyes and sort of, you know, thinks, oh, my God, you know, they would be saying that when you talk about a, a squad in those terms. But they really are. They're, they're encouraged to sort of socialise together in the week. Uh, you know and they're encouraged to be sort of friends as, as well as teammates so I think they're sort of pretty well equipped to get through this period and I know Billy Sharp in the past and Ender and John touched on this yesterday as well you know has been very sort of keen to get sort of video meetings going on and, and, and whatsapp groups going all the usual things that you hear but you know I think it's it's worth making the point it's not something that's just happened at Sheffield United you know this is something that they were already doing long, long before anybody on this planet ever heard of coronavirus. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right, so we move on to our um, weekly 11 from the last 30 years. We've got a goalkeeper, Dean Henderson. We've got a back four of Rome. We've got two central midfielders, John Sheridan and John Fleck. So the tension now turns. Since They've played for either club since 1990,
2: eligible for this one. And James, go on, we'll let you go first. Well, do you know what? Listen, I'll hold my hands up at this point. I think it's fair to say that... Sheffield Wednesday are going to get at least one player into this I know Joe will probably say that there should be two <laughs> I think do you, you know what I'll hold my hands up here and I'll say that there's one that I would put in from Sheffield Wednesday if I'm being in, in, entirely impartial about this which of course I'm not uh, just in terms of of people I think who you know could be in the running and everybody's going to laugh at this we we're having a little joke amongst our, ourselves early this week weren't we about Chris Basham because you know that that's a lad who can can play anywhere on the pitch, and anyone who's seen him rampaging down the flanks in the in the Premier League, although you know, will know that although he's not a winger, I think he'd make a, a pretty mighty fine one. Uh, in all seriousness, I think Michael Tong is somebody who uh, you know was probably very, very underrated. Actually, I know sort of people regarded him perhaps more of a, more of a midfielder, as it were. But I think some of his best work was was out wide at Sheffield United. and you know, certainly uh, I think he was a player. He was really high guarded at Bramall and I think perhaps never really, really got the got the credit he deserved. He a really, really lovely sort of technical player, Michael, and and a, and a nice lad to boot. And of course, he came through the system. Everybody loves that. I think the one United player, uh, and I've written it down again, so nobody sort of can accuse me of cheating here. I think there is a Sheffield Wednesday player who. Who should get in here? I think the one United player who's got to get in here though is Glenn Hodges. Glenn Hodges. Why why Glenn? I just think he, again he was he was a lovely player, wasn't he? I think you know he had it all. Uh, you know, he was somebody I I actually sort of saw play before I came to Sheffield. And, you know, he was a player that you know opponents certainly feared. I think opponents on the pitch and, and opposition fans. Beautiful technical player, had a little bit about him as well. And I think the other great thing about about Glyn is that you know he almost became sort of an emblem on the on the terraces as well, didn't he? You know he, he became more than just a, more than just a player at Sheffield United. And I think it's fair to say Sheffield United were the were the team that, that saw the saw the best out of him as well. He was a you know they, they were quite sort of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, quite an aggressive sort of physical side at the time. But you know they had some really really good players in that team as well, and, and Glyn was certainly one of those who sort of spread a veneer of of real sort of silky quality across the the whole thing. So, I think I think Glyn really, really has got to get in there. The other one, can I just say the Sheffield Wednesday player, so I don't have to hold up my sign again, Glenn Hodges and Chris Waddle.
1: I don't think that was ever up for debate though, was it? I mean, Waddle what, what was going to be in there. I, d- I don't think that... I think I'd have, been, I'd have been crucified in my first episode if I decided not to put Chris Waddle in, in any anyway,
4: so. this, this is done.
1: <laughs> yeah, we can call it a night, we can just finish it now. <laughs> I
0: yeah, think it's no, the I, one player I, that were faster than yeah. no, yeah.
1: you know I, what? I would I wouldn't would like to be a defender. Actually, I
2: wouldn't like to be a fullback facing those two in a you know in in, in a team as well. I, I think I think again they could play pretty well together. So that's what I'm going for. Joe, Over to you, mate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look, I would like to say there's absolutely no no arguments for me on on the on the, on the Wednesday one for sure. Wando was one of the first one of the first players I remember. Um, Apparently, I don't remember it, but apparently I used to go to games when I was about, you know, four or five and I'd say to my dad, which one's Waddle? Which one's Waddle? Um, And that was like, so some of my best memories, early days of of him. Um, Actually, when I was speaking to Mark Fembridge week, he said that he came to Wednesday in 95 and obviously Waddle was coming to the end of it at that point. You know, he was in his twilight years, should we say. Um, And he said he looked, everyone thought he was so slow, but then he'd drop a shoulder and you'd be like, where's he gone? Like we I I don't understand how he's got past me. Um so Chris Waddles, you know, definitely there. Can we can we pick players that are just at a very certain point in time? Because Jermaine Johnson in the last six months before his contract expires was unplayable. Like JJ at that point when he was playing for a new deal was Do, you, do you know hearing. why? And
2: again, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna settle and I, I like I say I get it out of the way very early. I'm gonna settle on Glyn and Chris is because you touching it there, Joe, as well. I think the sign of a truly great player at any club is one that I don't know, let's say, for example, you ask any 16-year-old now or any 13-year-old or 12-year-old on the terraces at Bramall Lane or at Hillsborough, they will be able to tell you all about those two players. You know, they'll have never seen them play. Uh, They might have seen them as sort of slightly more portly, rotund men walking around the the city or on television. Uh, You know, so they... That 's how they know them, but they'll still be able to tell you all about what they achieved as players Yeah, there's a legacy there the club, you know and and that is I just think that's the sign of a, of a truly truly great player, one whose sort of legacy gets passed down through the through the generations from father to son et cetera et cetera and I think both yeah. of those two tick that you know tick that particular box. yeah
1: I mean there's a, there's a, there's a, you know there's a few guys that but i I also think it's difficult when you when you when your life spans um A good time and a bad time. You've got to try and maintain a little bit of context as to when things were. So you know, you look at someone like Waddle and how good he was um, playing at the level that we were at then. Um, And then you look at someone uh, for for me, like one of my favourite players when I was in my sort of formative years of football, fan was Chris Brunt. Chris Brunt was great for us, but you also compare that that generation and when he was playing. You know, that was nowhere near the the Premier League level of of the guys that were there then. Um, I mean, I look at someone like Carboni. Carboni was he was my idol growing up, and I think. You know, I think I read today, actually, I think he's the highest scoring Premier League footballer to never score with his left foot. He never scored with his left foot once at any point in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, so Carboni, Carboni was, was a wide player that I, I loved. But I, look, and I don't want to be accused of just settling because I'm, it's my first day and I don't want to rock the belt. But I, like, I'm genuinely all right if we have a Wednesday player and a United player on each week. I'm, I can deal with that. That seems like a pretty decent compromise.
0: The final the final vote goes to uh, the man in charge, Chris Holt. And I think the fact that you'd mentioned uh, Chris Brunt will probably have given him something to think about, just let me mention that. Um, but, um, Chris, any thoughts at this point? Any any sort of suggestions yourself? Um,
4: no. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly could not. <laughs> I, I could not think any further than Chris no. in, <laughs> in, in any at any point in this. I think if we were to go through this team, that, that we're building here, I, possibly aside from shares last week, I, I don't think. Or well, maybe we'll come to the forwards, but certainly Chris Waddle was a player. If you didn't have him in this team, we may as well all wrap it up and <laughs> not show ourselves in public ever again. Um, outside of that, I, James is bang right about Glenn Hodges in a team that if we're totally honest, didn't have much guile and, and trickery. He, he kind of stood out in amongst the, the hard men and the, the, I don't want to say hoofers and booters, but it, they, they were a very direct team. And, and so, which is probably why Glynn did so well because it, it was kind of a, a, the only balance that they had where, you know, they're lumping it up front all the time. But then every so often, give it to Glenn, and he's tearing down the wing and firing across in from a from a different way rather than going from back to front. Um, outside of that, you mentioned Brunt. I think Bronte's best days weren't at Wednesday. Mm. I think his, his formative, formative years were at Wednesday, but he, he certainly rose to prominence um, elsewhere at, at West Brom. I ever agreed he was at Wednesday. Um, and Carboni was just. Class, just a, just a very classy, typically
1: Italian. I'll, I'll never get over watching him for the first time. Honestly, like that will stick with me forever. Just it was because obviously that at that point, that, that, that Wednesday team was very British, you know, like it was a really like um, overly British side. It was like Peter Appleton and Mark Pembridge and Guy Whittingham and those guys. Um, and then you had Carboni come in and then, Di Canio the season afterwards, and I was just like, "What's going on? Like, who are these? Who are these people that they brought in? Like, and, and why do they play so differently? Because Carboni was like nothing I'd seen before. You know, Carboni just the, the, everything about him was, and I think his hair was part of it. You know, he had long hair and he had a, a hair band in as well, and he wore he wore red boots. And then he we had a yellow kit at one point, and he wore yellow kit yellow boots to match that kit. And I just thought, "There, no, this was me. This, this is this is my kind of footballer." Yeah, it's a good
0: shout, Carboni. I think it was struggling. It, it, he's another one that I think there's been a few on the United side of it that were kind of struggled to fit into a position and maybe kind of offered him in, 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 trying to squeeze him in a little bit. Obviously, Carboni played in a variety yeah. of different positions for Wednesday, but as you say, yeah. a very, very, very very talented footballer who made a very big impression for Wednesday. Um, he did an interview with um, Graham Hunter, the, uh, the, the, the Spanish football expert and a part of Graham's podcast, and he spoke about when he got the ball on the wing and they were running down the wing and hearing. Wooden seats at Hillsborough pop back in excitement. I don't think there's a, that's so evocative and that's so spot on of, of what what sort of player Waddle was and what how highly regarded they were. He were held by Wednesday fans as well. I think obviously he's a nailed-on uh, player in, in in this team. But Chris, we're going to leave the final choice up to you. Um, I th- I th- we seem to be heading around that
2: Steel City split again. Can I just jump in very very quickly and and just say, <laughs> a, sorry, Chris, I do apologise. <laughs> It takes a really brave man to be a winger. And I'll tell you a story about somebody who's obviously not been put forward for this, albeit it was, again, he was a good player, really nice guy. It goes back to Neil Warnock's time when Paul ifield came in. And I think being a winger, it's a different type of bravery. You know, they often get sort of portrayed as being these fancy dancers, who are all about skill. You've got to have a mental toughness to be a winger. And I can always remember Neil pulling Paul ifield to one side. And just telling him, you know, I'm not going to criticise you for making a mistake, but I accept that nine times out of ten, what you try is not going to come off. But what you've got to do is have that bravery and that mental conviction to keep on going and try and make sure that the tenth time you take on your marker, you know, you actually get around him and get into a get into a crossing position. So I think in, in, a, in a strange sort of sense, possibly the position where, you know, blood, guts, and sort of guile and all of that stuff. You know, perhaps isn't necessarily seen as being a sort of a prerequisite. I think they're actually some of the some of the most mentally toughest players in the team because most of what they do isn't going to come off.
1: Yeah. Do you remember yeah. the time yeah. well, you, get, you get lumps kicked out of you? Don't you? You're, you're like part of your job as a winger is to take a hit. That's you know, that's kind of what you're you're doing um, because, like you said, they are the quick ones. So the ones who are always trying to get past the man. And you look at someone and do I know it's not Wednesday or United related, but you look at someone like Neymar and you know, he goes down easily, but he goes down because he's kicked a lot. And that's because he has that, you know, that mental capacity to go, the last three times I haven't worked, the next four or five I'm gonna make sure they do. And I think I think you're spot on. I think you're hundred percent right. Like the, the mental toughness that it takes to to try and take on a man nine times and then go, The next one's gonna work is I mean that's a it's a really Impressive skill set to have.
0: Chris, not final vote, what are you
4: saying? Uh, I'm still tempted to put Hoddle in twice. Or Hoddle, <laughs> <waddle>, sorry. <Yeah. laughs> I'd, I'd Hoddle and Waddle in my head there. Um yeah, I gotta put Hodges in. So well, probably probably because he, he 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 stood out in that team. He was a kind of very different to to the rest of the team. Uh, yeah. So that's Waddle and Hodges we've got today.
0: That's his first sort of blade from the past that we've had. It's always been that kind of yeah. 50, that split between the old Wednesday and the new United. And but yeah, that's the first one from a, from a different era that we've had for, uh, for either of them. So, interesting one. So, yeah, running through what we've got so far Dean Henderson in goal and a back four of Roland Nielsen, Des Walker, Chris Morgan, and Ender Stevens. A midfield four now of Glyn Rogers, John Sheridan, John Fleck, and Chris Waddle. So, next week should be interesting um, and some, some big, big names. To be thrown into that one. And I think there's going to be some serious debate because there's a few that you can see getting thrown uh, forward. Going to have them back and then to after that, that we'll probably. <laughs> 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 I, I hope so. I think he is. I think he is. So we could that, that could be a long one. We might have to do a special just not talking about anything else other than uh, these two forwards that we're going to pin you know, Some of the names that we've, we've suggested that didn't quite make it. Maybe put it together a bit of a bench and having a discussion about the managers as well. Um, but yeah, still plenty of work to do on that team, but it's shaping up. Quite nicely at this point. Um, usually, I like to throw to the lads and uh, see if there's anything that they've written this week that they're particularly proud of that I'd like to sort of direct people towards if they've not seen it. So, Joe, anything that stands out for you maybe over the last couple of weeks since you've arrived that you've been
1: yeah, there's been there's been a, there's a couple. I I, I I really enjoyed putting together a piece on the uh, the Intertoto Cup when Wednesday played in that in '95. I spoke to Mark Pemmidge and Mark Bright for that one, which was which was good. Um, obviously, quite a lot of Tom Lee's content that, that came out of uh, of my chat with him, which is all all on the on the site now. Um, I spoke to Sumido about Ronaldo. Uh, he still wants to bring him to Hillsborough. That's just gone live. You know that went that went live tonight. And I'll also have a long read on on Cimedo coming up. He talks about you know um, what he thinks is, has gone wrong at Wednesday since he's left. You know his biggest regret when he was there. So that's all that's all kind of coming. Um, and I think one of the the, the Bigger newsy stories of the last week was the fact that um, Osasuna are um, Wednesday are trying to tie him down long term. They've got an option, but they want to make sure he's there for a, for a long time to come. And I think that's that's some some uh, some good news for Wednesday, because because Osasuna looks like he's uh, he's he's got a lot of a lot of, a lot of uh, ability to to come through. Yeah,
2: yeah. James, anything you want to pick yeah, out? Yeah, I enjoyed uh, speaking to Steve Sylvester, the sports psychologist, on on Monday. He was discussing the. Sort of the mental and the psychological challenges of of playing behind closed doors. Uh, always, always a really interesting guy to to speak to when he was coming up with a couple of ideas about why he thinks Sheffield United, this Sheffield United squad, are sort of pretty well equipped to to thrive in that in that sort of scenario. And and just giving him a few pointers that they could they could possibly work on. He's he's someone who's very very close to uh, to Chris Wilder. I know there's an awful lot of respect between the two of them. And Steve's worked with some, some really, really top names in sport, not only in football, but, but snooker and, and cricket too. So, yeah, really, really enjoyed that. It's always a pleasure to speak to, to John and Andrew Stevens. They're two sort of quite sharp lads, actually. and have a little bit of a laugh with them, but they all sort of make a, a good point in a, in a serious manner too. And I've just been putting something together today that's gone online now, uh, but it's going to be in the, in the paper tomorrow. It's sort of doing a little bit more globe with uh, with Sheffield United. Just talking about how they're they're looking to take the Arabic speaking world by storm now. After after conquering Eastern Europe, as we've we've already documented earlier this week, uh, earlier this month, sorry. But there's there's some interesting stuff in there and some sort of quite startling figures as well. Actually, sounds very good, very good, Chris. Anything you want to pick out? Um,
4: yeah, I like what James said about his um, his sort sports psychologist. story I really enjoyed that. It's nice to get a a different angle on things um, obviously that's that's been important to us at these times where you're trying to find trying to do something a bit different because there's so much stuff going around that sometimes we just like to look, take things at a, at a different angle so i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed joe's piece with tony mayola which is a kind of uh, story very very rarely or or not not told at all about how he came along with John Hawks at the same time and and for one three one reason or another, work permits and other, other issues never quite managed to, to sign for Wednesday despite them they wanted him and and he kind of bundled around England a little bit before he ended up going home. And um yeah it's just a just a really good some really great pictures to go along with that as well that we, we dug out of Two very nineties-looking Americans standing on a hill in Sheffield, overlooking the city, <laughs> and um, yeah, it was kind of a fish water type of thing. Um, yeah, and, and just um, on a more on a more somber note, um, the designer of the the iconic and she'd say best Sheffield Wednesday badge uh, sadly passed away recently. So. Um, I've 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 spoken to his daughter this week, and I've, I've just read a story online there now. So, um, some nice stories from her about, about what it was like growing up. And they're not a they're not a very football household, so it was, it was kind of unusual that their their dad, who was a respectable, art student in the seventies, who'd come up with with this with this badge that has had such an impact on so many people. So yeah, I've spoken to his daughter about it, and she's obviously very proud of. Despite not being much of a football fan, or her family's not much f- for football fans, they uh, they're obviously very proud of the legacy that he that he's kind of left behind of that beautifully designed, stylised Sheffield Wednesday badge. Yeah.
0: yeah, well, you can read that and all the uh, the top work over on the Star uh, If you're out and about as well, please pick up a paper, or maybe even consider a digital subscription as well for, is greatly greatly welcome before we go as, obviously the ITV are doing the thing with we going through um, Euro 96 and things like that but has there been any sort of football related stuff that any of you have watched that you think could put people I, I watched, watched the Diego Maradona
1: documentary a couple of weeks back and that is just insanely good
2: Yeah, yeah I'll I second was, I was that I actually saw that at the, at the cinema but uh, that was I think that would be before Christmas it? I've lost track of time sort of in these you know behind this lockdown wall as it were but no that, that's brilliant I mean I think the, the great thing about that programme is, I mean, I'm somebody who loves Italy. I love Naples as a, as a city and obviously I love football as well. I don't think you have to be particularly sympathetic towards Diego Maradona as a person to, to watch that, do you? Uh, no, I and, think you
1: do become more sympathetic towards him when you've watched it though. But
2: I, I, yeah, I, I think you can go into it, can't you? And really take an awful lot out of the, out of the documentary, even if he's not someone that you particularly sort of Admired as a as a person rather than rather than yeah. a footballer. Yeah, it's it's top top draw stuff. That
1: yeah. the other thing as well. Know. I've
2: just been doing late on a night uh, is uh, just going through some of the old uh, the old Dutch, the old Dutch sort of footage as well of that great sort of Rudy Kroll Johan Cruyff, that that era. Absolutely. I good. was
4: worried. I was worried where you were going with that. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was as well. Actually, you. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll I dug myself see. out of it. Yeah. Anything you've seen, Chris? Uh, yeah, I watched it. I I put myself through the English game on Netflix. Oh no, I I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend
1: it's it. It's basically it's basically like it's out and Abby was football not it. They, they made out like it was a football program, but it's not. It's just a, a drama that happened to have some football in it.
2: Yeah, it, I'll scratch that off my list then. <laughs> don't, don't watch it.
0: No, <laughs> I saw no, no, um. Uh, the week on, on ITV, a brilliant documentary about the, the Panini sticker. Yes, uh, I
4: watched that. Yeah,
0: And that transition into Merlin and quite, quite what went off. I never realised it was no, quite No, I didn't realise that there was yeah.
4: this, that uh, Rupert Murdoch, who tried to, he tried to buy them and they wouldn't sell and and he they nearly, he, he tried to kill them off, really, didn't he? So yeah. I didn't uh, realise there was so much skullduggery going on whenever we are doing, whenever we are swapping our doubles in the playground. And
1: uh, That's amazing, check how- out. Oh. What you say, sorry Joe? I was saying that sounds amazing, I need to check that out because I, I was... I, I say was, I still collect the stickers for the World Cup, I've done the last three.
4: <laughs> There's also one, I think, by the same, uh, the same people who've made it, on um, on Admiral Football Kids. Right. Oh, cool. i have to have a look out for that one. Yes. Definitely.
0: Definitely. Well, thanks very much for joining us lads, again, and uh, obviously everyone out there as well. Uh, watching or listening. Uh, Remember, you can subscribe to the audio version of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, We'll be back next week. Hopefully, there might be a few more of us. And, of course, we'll be touching on the two uh, strikers um, that, to complete our uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll have something more concrete in terms of uh, when football will restart. But, as I say, thank you very much. And we'll speak to you very soon. Thank